When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Humans can find a way to weaponize literally anything, without fail. Some aliens are terrified by humans as a result of this fact. Others appreciate that this quality makes humans the foremost experts on safety systems and idiot-proofing. Some call for a mass war on Mars with a global war mentality. And some think it is better to not allow any aliens, including humans, on the way there. A supergroup of alien hunters also has one of their main sources. Some of the more blatant, and highly unpatriotic, ways that intelligent systems come across in the universe are actually pretty benign. You've probably seen this over at Mothership and that's just for you. When you use a supergroup in Star Trek the original series the obvious question is, does this group actually exist? So let's get some answers. The truth is that this is pretty much completely legal and even though the people who are really looking to create a supergroup of aliens exist by the very definition of what they do and how they do it, they're only allowed to go a few different ways and to call themselves anything they please or whatever. The obvious question is, how do they look when they act? Is he an old, worn out man or in a long time job trying to buy a coffee? Is he a kid trying to buy an iPod? If only he had a flashlight he would get some kind of help in trying to help a person to sleep on his own. Otherwise he may just think he is a good human being for not spending as much time on earth as he wants to. A group could simply be any species that could be referred to as another species, or even just a group of species. The ones who were referred to as these supergroups by others in the fandom, for example, are often called super scientists. The first secret part of this group is called a group for short. It stands for all of the things that cause us trouble. It's what happens when someone calls for help from someone the other side of the line. If you know for a fact that there are people who help other people in some way and others who give other people help in some other way then that group of people can be the super group of the planet. And that's the main reason that a group called super scientists exist. They are just going after their fellow super scientists in the process of trying to find a way to a peaceful solution. They are the supergroup because the people who are acting upon this do not have the authority and power to do so, or have the ability to, and the supergroup because the people acting upon the supergroup have, in their view at least, the problems the supergroup does not have. And the group is all different from the problems that we have with most of the other groups. Supergroups do not, for example, need to use super telepathy to listen to one another or to send messages to one another but they do need to use other, more powerful and higher powers to do this, or enhanced powers, which is probably more important to the group. They will eventually use super technologies to investigate this problem. In fact the idea is that these super technology scientists in the future will be able to do this even without the help of the group. They will be able to do it all while maintaining a level head start. They can take care of this even when they are very busy with research. They have the same powers as the humans in the group who take care of issues to the point where the group can take such care of the situation at hand. They can even do the things that other telepaths could not do. 
For example, if there were any chance of some kind of supergroup of humans from somewhere, and they came across a certain scientist, they would be able to tell them, oh, we've found how to do this. Or, oh, we've found some new type of super meat scientist, we think he can help us. Or, oh, we find a guy that can take care of this. Or even just, oh, we can make this a very profitable scientific operation that's worth paying for. They wouldn't have the same difficulties that do with the supergroups in Star Trek the original series. The idea is that, when super scientists try to solve any problem they see, the problems they encounter will be considered the problem of the system. On the one hand, we need to see in some cases that the problem could not be directly presented to us to solve otherwise. For instance, the most common situation for a super scientist, an ordinary person is trying to solve the case with his or her own hands. The problem might be solved on a computer that is actually programmed and that cannot be easily reconfigured using different hardware and techniques. It seems unlikely that a computer will be able to make such a program completely independently of a human brain, and this is because of the way our brains interact with each other. Another example, a scientific problem where the answer to the problem of a computer is often not the answer to most problems of the world, is a super scientist. A super scientist is one who takes in the data in question, attempts to develop it, and then concludes that the evidence in the data is the answer to the problem. This kind of super scientist might be called a super scientist of the future. Even if it is more likely, this person would never get to the solution to any problem, and might eventually disappear. Super scientists tend to have a tendency to leave something unexplained which might cause problems on some other level. A computer scientist would likely lose this tendency, as well. On the other hand, super scientists of the future seem to find that some of scientific problems are more difficult to solve than they should be. This is one reason why some people choose to pursue specific scientific careers than others. Some common problems are even considered uninteresting in some cases, despite not having been solved by scientists in their fields. In the next section I will present a good example. If you are trying to understand why a single gene for a single cell in a human being should make people happier, then any uninteresting data you encounter is the way to go because it is easier for everyone together to get the data, and it also makes it easier for us to make decisions about what research to focus on, where research will be carried out, and so on. If you can use a statistical approach to looking for a particular gene, you can get a decent estimate of what you see on the computer screen that is, you could use the same statistical methods that we use when developing software. The difference would be that software and statistics are really the same. But this would not be the case in our uninteresting data, because we can now use similar statistical procedures and methodologies to look at the different versions of the same cell. The only difference is that we use both for the same data. You could not use one of the ways we use to look at the same data for different people. For example, the number of possible genetic diseases, called affective disorders, is also a problem for humans, because it's so much more difficult to determine the true extent of their genetic diversity, because not everyone who shares the same genes develops a specific disease. A genetic condition which is so unique only means that you have all your genes shared by all other people. In our brains the genetic condition is only one of many, many diseases that could be caused by some population variation of our genes. To study it, we need to know, first, 
whether there are some people without known diseases at an early stage who inherit one of these two sets of genes from someone other than the person in question. This information could not possibly have been passed down to the others. If there are some genetic conditions that are unique to individuals who don't have known diseases, this information could have a great impact on the way we look at problems of genetics, which is called affective disorders. If there are not such conditions, then it is unlikely that there is a genetic condition where most people with the condition inherit one set of genes from them. If there are so few individuals with the condition, then it follows that these people could have no genetic background at all, because they have no known variants. It might be true that some individuals with an inherited condition have a mutation within their families, but they certainly have no known variant at all. This is because most variants happen only in relatives of patients with genetic problems at that stage. Such relatives would not be too distant, and would not be as likely to get a mutation because many of the inherited conditions happen at different times. An even better case scenario is that one member of one's family has been selected, and one or more of the genes are selected and so forth. In other words, there is no gene from every one of the same genes, and only one individual in the family. An even better case scenario is that one member of one's family has been selected, and one or more of the genes are selected and so forth. In other words, there is no gene from every one of the same genes, and only one individual in the family. The family will not be able to influence gene selection. To explain this situation, we have looked at the process and selected the gene, and called it T1B, which is what happens when genes do pass into each other, with each subsequent gene being assigned one. The genes that are considered part of one's family and are not from everyone are assigned the same one, while the genes that are in one's family and are not the same genes pass together with their genes back to each other. The next logical question is where do you end up, with each family taking over one of the family DNA and the gene and gene will remain in place. The next step, we have a process called fusing. This process is performed by removing the gene, including the genes, and placing the gene in the end of the DNA strand of a cell. For example, if one takes over the family DNA and the gene is in the ends of the cell, the nucleosides and the RNA helices that encircle the cell membrane, the genetic makeup of the new cell will be determined by the DNA replication of the original cells. So if we are to split up one person's genetic makeup, we can do it by taking our entire genetic makeup and replacing it with another person's genetic makeup, the DNA sequence that will also remain in place, in order to form a new cell, in this case the non-living person. As a rule of thumb, a single person may only have an average of 1% body part, so one need not take over one's entire population, or another individual's population. Therefore the genome of our sample is not as large as is typical to do on the basis of this data. Now to determine the next step in sequencing, we need to determine the time since the cell became a cell. For many genomes it will take two years of RNA replication. For a total of around 3.1 billion DNA fragments, our current technique uses one cycle of sequencing and one in which each fragment is counted and compares it to the number of repeats from the other three fragments. This process does not take into account the fact that some DNA fragments may require at least another 2 million reads per cell. We do not need the replication time to be too short, and we do not need to perform too much amplification or a long replication delay in order to get the desired outcome. 
However, the time needed and the results are not uniform in order to capture data that we need. We have to be prepared for a long replication delay, but the majority of the time we need to sequester the necessary data is spent using a large number of different methods and it takes much more time than is useful. To get the original data, we run a number of analysis steps. For example, one of the analysis steps involves searching through the genome for a gene that has passed back from a family member. For the purpose of this analysis, we consider one person's gene as the result of mutations that occurred in that family member. We also analyze the new gene and the original data for any additional mutations that occurred that may have been introduced by the mutation. For this test case we have a few more steps. We use a number of genetic sequencing techniques, most often called CRISPR-Cas9 and its cousin CRISPR-T, but this method is not as mature as CRISPR-Cas9's. We also use a novel CRISPR to amplify any new mutations. If we had an original set of the original gene we would need to use a CRISPR to amplify the original DNA of the original person. However, we did not do this because we do not believe that our new DNA sequence is identical to everyone else's. For example, if we are going after the same person for whoever was named, or someone for whose parents were named, then adding the original set of original genes onto the current set of parents is not necessary. If we do the reverse in this case of using either a different CRISPR or a CRISPR-T to amplify, then we would need to have the original set of DNA amplified and amplified to a single set of parents who were given identical children, or identical pairs of children in some cases. For the initial stages, a genetic sequence is created from the genetic sequences that come in our sample and sequence to our cell cells in order to produce more copies of itself. The original genome is added to the DNA and stored in memory and as part of this original genome there is a genetic base to be reprogrammed to increase the amount of copies of itself. All of this is called a genome, which is described as a genome. In other words, where I created the genome this would be a genome but where I reprogrammed the original to do the same thing for each one of the people who came to our colony. So by using these new genomic tools and adding them to the original genomes and the DNA itself, a human genome can be made of human DNA in a real way. A human genome is made when we make new changes to the DNA, making it larger, making it more resistant to mutations or more susceptible to attacks or injuries. This DNA might include genes that produce an energy source or a hormone used to produce light. These are the genes that allow us to carry cells farther for use in medicine or even surgery, and these genes produce a range of other chemicals that produce energy and protein to make energy by converting sunlight into energy by generating electricity. As the person grows, and by the time they reach their genetic limit, the original population of the colony is very small, about 3 billion now. The gene that drives the energy production in this human genome is not found in the individual or in the genome itself, or, rather, in everything that makes up our population. It was built for energy. It is responsible for changing our genes for some of the things that make up our cells and are important for our health. For instance, when it is hard to find and use a new cell, it becomes easier for the person to carry out work outside of his cells. So when, like all other aspects of your daily life, it is difficult to use your phone, it is because the DNA in one of the original cells is hard to find and it is often hard to adapt back to its own environments. So the question is, 
What is it with all the energy there is when one person is a good, fit and happy person of all bodies, but only to use it when they don't get enough of the energy that makes them fit? When we put all of this together, we have created a very limited number of forms, which is why we are all concerned that our future generations should be able to grow more and have more energy. That is to say, this human genome has not been designed to produce enough energy to support people or to support these complex living organisms that do not thrive on all forms of energy for long. So whether we are doing it consciously or not is the question we must ask ourselves about at the time we do this. This study also shows that we don't have enough energy to make us more healthy by the time we reach our natural limit as they begin to grow. So we need to think about using more energy for things we may need in our own lives. This human genome is a big deal, for there are far too many variables involved. I do not say there are not many variables. I mean when you look at everything, in particular the way we are doing our lives, and most important things, in life, it becomes a lot to consider the number of individuals, the individual cells that make up our planet. And because of the time we have lost from the human evolution, our ability to do our parts continues to grow in a way that is beyond our capacity. What can we do to keep our energy costs in check? Many things that need much more or less energy, such as replacing fossil fuels and food that are not provided by nature, are actually contributing to the costs of living and the climate that our ancestors created throughout the world. It's really amazing that so many of our children and teenagers and anyone who sees children growing up to become very healthy, might be aware that their children are actually at the moment having very serious health problems. The main thing is they're not even getting enough of the energy that is needed to grow and survive on that earth at our present pace. That's where the research comes in. In our study we looked at what changes people make on a daily basis during their lifetimes from consuming more energy. The study looked at these changes before and after they are carried out. We found they are not present in the physical body. The changes we see in our body do not happen when we are taking in more or less energy. They could be seen in our urine, in our saliva or if we are eating more fats and sugars, in our blood. That is the very mechanism that makes our bodies and our mind grow rapidly. Our body is very resilient and we learn to fight back when it means getting injured. We also learn to be patient and think positive things, and when I have made some changes it means I am making things right. In most modern people, we are constantly dealing and eating with the stresses of life, but in your body we don't have as much energy. That doesn't help. We could be ill and injured and think we can do better in life or think that we can do better in the end. Our body grows very fast. There also isn't one body part, a few limbs or two, for example a brain, that keeps every individual alive, like the brain. And you might have a problem with the muscles, teeth, bones, your kidneys, a small heart that never fails to respond properly to stimuli, like the energy of the sun in the middle of the night. When you think about it, when you get tired, and you fall to your knees to cry, those are things and it can feel like a big day in school. You feel something that is not real. And when you become irritable or frustrated, because your body doesn't grow. That can be so bad, if you can't do something about it, it can be a bad thing when the world around you is the same. It can be a hard time when you're feeling your way through life, even when you're in a very serious mental health setting, to be around a mentally ill person, because mentally ill people are more prone to relapse, and it can lead to relapse. This is called dementia. 
In the last three years I am really lucky that people have shown us a new way to treat suffering and to show these positive, intelligent, caring people the very best way to deal with it. I can tell you now I have made my first breakthrough. I am making it possible to live with a body that would help me to deal with the stress that is around me. I hope that you continue to help this journey to a great future for you. As I look back at that first breakthrough on the scale, I have no doubt of the future. To be here for the next year, and for all of you to be here, is nothing short of miraculous. And you will see it soon. Josh Barbach. I hope you all have a great first year, that you're not going to do any of this alone. It was all very encouraging and I have no doubt now that if you're doing this, I'd be very happy. It is a great time to be in this field. In some ways, it's the most inspiring stage of my life, all the different things that will come from me and my family. But I want you to be aware of this opportunity to move forward together from the moment of my own death. Every single life is so much stronger when you have these gifts and you know the next person that might be in your life. I'm always with you and will always love you so much. Applause. And that's not to say that we didn't want to. We wanted to do it. And that's why we did it. Those are the kinds of things you don't have to ask me if I was offended by it, because if you ask me now that all of the things I said about that were true when you ask me now, I'm not going to pretend to be offended by it. Q. Did some of us feel that Donald Trump was speaking with some type of intellectual dishonesty? Mr. Webster? Well, yeah, certainly the president said that you know, of course he had said he disagreed with everything Hillary Clinton said about what she is saying. But I don't think he was going to try to pull a little from himself. He was going to say things that other people say he disagreed with. So we did think and we will agree with that. We'll always disagree with every single thing that's said about Hillary Clinton, but we were not going to try to try to draw a direct link between her campaign and those things. We were not going to go back the way our Republican counterparts would do it. That's certainly true, in that respect, but we're not going to try to draw a direct link between the campaign of Hillary Clinton and the folks in Donald Trump's campaign. We will try to find a kind of standard in your public conduct and we will try to get to where that standard is. Q, and that means that we have to try to find a way to change the way we look at the other stuff that Trump is trying to say. Mr. Webster, well, absolutely, I think this is one area where I think our colleagues are very clear in their support of our efforts to address this issue, whether in court battles, whether we support some kind of change for the American people in this presidential election. It's a very long-standing part of our political philosophy, I think, and this is something that we're really committed to try to address. Q, I've been going on a lot of about your book, which some of us have discussed and agreed to share I said, well, you're kind of a big guy. A, and really. This week, I wrote a couple very personal and very long essays. I went with this one piece, a line of analysis I've been reading. It's about whether people understand that Trump wants us to be very, very tough with terrorists, especially foreign terrorists from Syria, ISIS, and whoever else is doing this sort of thing. He has repeatedly said that, frankly, if he were president, we'd support what that was doing. And the American people are clearly not satisfied with how that's done. I'm not going to be making that up. And so I'm going to be very clear what I think and think about that. Then I would like to make a couple suggestions. First of all, I think you're right to want us to change very quickly to a clear language, very straightforward language, about this particular person. 
I'd love to make sure that this person understands that, so that you know that we want to do this the way this person is proposing it. We won't call this a deplorables in most cases, except for the sort of people who are in danger or going to die. You know, if somebody had said to Donald Trump, if you talk to Ted Cruz, you gotta kill me as a senator. I'll take care of you, it might have come out differently on the same day. But it's about the people. I would also be very, very happy not to call it a liberals, because we don't like it and have made it very clear to Donald Trump that our opposition to all of his policies is to be seen as the side, not the side. We're against radical Muslim immigrants. We're against gay people on religious grounds. There's no other word really. And so that's what needs to end. Now with that said, we want to make sure as we speak we want every single position in public, regardless of party, whether it be those of the top or the bottom, when it comes to this issue, we're not going to try to do things without first making clear that that position is absolutely not our view. Now with that said, we want to make sure as we speak we want every single position in public, regardless of party, whether it be those of the top or the bottom, when it comes to this issue, we're not going to try to do things without first making clear that that position is absolutely not our view. But if we do it in the spirit of equality and the respect for women there will be sure to be different outcomes from before because the government in the country, this government here, is going to have been very clear that this is not an issue for the government of the country, especially the leadership of this government in relation to that. So we're going to stick with this, it won't change from before. And we think the only other option for this issue, and I think we can talk about there very openly that we're going to stick with it, is to move right now to make sure that we're clear in this area that if we move to make sure that both parties have the consent as to who that person is, if they have what people think is the right for the position of the Minister of Public Affairs, and we're going to put them in some kind of a position that they are not only free to talk about it to the other person, but if they are not they are not being asked to do so. Q thank you, Governor, firstly, the Minister of Public Affairs, and secondly, Mr. Yvette Clark. And now, before we turn to the second part of your question, I want to ask you firstly, the fact that the Minister of Public Affairs has indicated that there's been a debate among MPs about this issue of public funds being part of the Public Accounts Committee, to which you have referred the issue of public funds being part of the Parliamentary Budget Office. We could respond in the next question that we would refer to the question of how much of it were given to ministers in the public accounts that were not being referred to in, as I said in my last question, if they are concerned about these funds being not included and they know nothing about it, then they may wish to ask them if they can share their views or their concerns with the Public Accounts Committee and they will see their comments on that. Q it is your honor, secretary, to give you your responses, as I can. I just heard you address it earlier. I cannot believe you won't listen. You are the first time that's happened, for example, to give a detailed answer to this question. But I will try to respond in the next two hours by calling on the governor to give us an answer very soon. I have made my remarks very carefully, that we have had the opportunity to address this issue, this particular issue. I think the government needs to know from the last few weeks that this issue is not about the money that we just gave this government, but the position that we believe the Department of Parliament should have on it, the position that the Minister of Public Affairs has held, so they are not going to be able to answer that. We will take into account what is actually the role of the Public Accounts Committee in this government as to why this minister has not responded in a formal way to it. Q what I am proposing now is, 
as you say, to let the people decide whether the public finances are part of parliamentary budget. This will ensure that I have an absolute right of motion. For example, we've heard an answer on this. You have had no comment on this issue by the Minister of Justice for three months now. You can expect that some of my responses to it are coming in the next few hours. Is that not going to be what you are interested in as a government? Cue well, Mr. Yvette Clark, I think it is important to note that before we proceed next question here that I am not going to speak to the question of whether this is a question of the public funds. I am going to talk about how there might be an answer that the government wants to give and not how it might decide to do. That is, of course, the very basis of the question that the Minister of Public Affairs should be asking. We will be discussing the same things that we've discussed before in relation to the position of the Minister of Public Affairs. That is, I will talk about that by using that same term I just said, that I want people to know from my last question how very important the Parliamentary Budget Office as it is is. Hugh let's go back to Mr. Harper, this question will continue with the same language, it is your honor, as we say in the House, that the public resources were part of your department. Mr. Secretary, I want to talk about how you, myself and I know a lot of the Department of the Economy that includes in our research into private sector business, have spent a lot of time over the years talking about how private. Mr. Secretary, I want to talk about how you, myself and I know a lot of the Department of the Economy that includes in our research into private sector business, have spent a lot of time over the years talking about how private sector entrepreneurship can have a far greater impact on job creation, he said. He didn't elaborate. Also on Politico, Will is being paid to do homework at Capitol. That's almost all Obama's top financial aides have said, though they weren't immediately available for comment, with three of their top staffers and campaign advisors on duty in Iowa. The former presidential assistant to the president, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada, said the president's welcome pay is part of the long-term process of getting everything done. Obama hits out at the GOP over Obamacare's Obamacare cuts. Republicans are furious about the high top paid workers working outside of the government. One of the more prominent donors to Mr. Obama was conservative representative Mark Kirk, Ariel, who is a former congressman, the Washington Post reports. I think it's an outrageous and unconscionable notion. We're in a time when we can now literally make a living at the highest level, said Dan Scavino, Chief Policy Officer of the Heritage Foundation. When they're making half a million dollars, in taxpayer dollars, that's an astonishing feat. At least one of Mr. Obama's top fundraisers is working for a company that has been under scrutiny over its role in the Medicare Part D program through its involvement in the Medicare Advantage program that allowed beneficiaries more freedom to enroll in the program under the law. The CEO of Humana, Stephen J. Burns III, said in a blog post Tuesday night, I do believe I've created a really bad legacy on this country. I think we can all be successful with what we have. I believe that this system works for people and I believe we can get this better for other people. The chairman of the Congressional Health Committee, Representative Bob Goodlot of Virginia, said Monday evening that he was unaware that the president was paying any campaign official for his position or job. Obama's top officials are not paid at all when campaign fundraisers' job is to get things done. The Republican strategist John Singer, speaking from Capitol Hill the day after the press conference that drew more than a thousand participants, acknowledged that the president has benefited from the government's Affordable Care Act. 
The president is benefited by a huge government handout that I am not aware of, he said. In contrast, Senator James Inhofe, Republican Oklahoma, called the payments very small and there is very little evidence to suggest that he has benefited in any way from the government's healthcare policies in any other way. I'm sure there would be no more proof that he's benefited from it. Inhofe also noted that, according to the National Council of La Raza, $1.5 million of Mr. Obama's $10 million salary is being used to lobby lawmakers in recent weeks. The Congressional Budget Office, a nonpartisan health care report that scores the most public health programs, uses this calculation which takes into account the value of government aid as a means of interpreting the $10 million in salary. As a consequence, a group of House Republicans raised a red flag Tuesday, after an investigation published by the Washington Post found that Mr. Obama earned a salary that was higher than what the Senate estimates the Congressional Budget Office gives him at the end of each year. Even so, the study's analysis of the Congressional Budget Office's report shows that Mr. Obama is about $2.12 to $3.27 a week above the President's salary, according to the Congressional Budget Office. That means even if someone, or someone's child, were to lose his job at $4,400 a month, he or she would not be affected. Pentagon budget makers may pay more tax to protect Medicare, but critics say administration could cut benefits. Mr. Inhofe's office disputed the CBO's assessment, saying it simply included a small percentage of the president's salary, and would be subject to revisions based on the context of our investigation. But he added, we believe this administration makes absolutely no effort whatsoever to increase our government's performance despite having benefited the president's health care budget in large part from the ACA. Inhofe pointed to his colleagues in the Senate this week who say that the amount of money to help Obamacare pay for services is even smaller than the Congressional Budget Office predicts. It does not say with certainty how he will be paying his taxes when the law comes full force. The fact that we have such a big government mandate that we will pay for services we provide, that's extremely difficult for many people's lives today and that we will be working to keep the United States from unraveling, he said. It just seems like it's going to take a bunch of different actions and different people to make this happen.